But I, I've got to say, even though this VBS has been very different, it has been a joy to see families share a VBS experience together. That's pretty unusual. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it yet or not, uh, but one of our core values here at OBC is family. Now, family can be understood as two ways. One is that we, as the community of Osterville Baptist Church, are a family united together in Christ. You know, the church isn't a building, as much as we love our church building. Uh, the church isn't a one-hour gathering once a week. The church is us, you and me. We are the church, and we are a church family together. Now, the other aspect in which we can take this idea of family is that we value individual families here at Osterville Baptist. Mom, dad, kids, parent, guardian, single parent. We value the God-given role that families play in raising up the next generation of Christ's followers. Now, if you've been involved in Christendom for any period of time recently, you've probably heard someone talk about a trend that's been observed for a couple of decades now. If we want to put it simply, many kids who grew up around churches and identified as Christian are starting to check out of all things faith as soon as they hit college. Now, I would argue that it's actually happening a little bit before that, but that's the trend that people are observing. Once people hit college, that they've checked out and they're gone. Now, this concept came up again earlier this year when Gallup, you may be familiar with them, they released an update to a poll that they've been recording for 80 years. So according to Gallup, as of 2020, only 47% of American adults said that they were a member of a church or, for that matter, a synagogue or a mosque. In the 1940s, that number, if you can see up there, that number was closer to 76%. So over the course of three generations, church membership took a dive by 30%. The shocking thing is that if you look at that chart, most of that decline has only taken place within the last 20 years, one generation from the year 2000 until last year, 2020. And I got to tell you, that trend does not appear to be slowing down. My guess is that when we look at numbers post-COVID, that we are going to see a steep dive in between 2020 and 2021. Now, this is a huge issue, and it has a lot of different facets. I don't think there's any single thing that we could point at and say this is the sole reason why this is happening. And I'm not about to say that I have all the answers. What I can say is that I have served in student ministry since 2002. It was the first time I stepped in as a volunteer in a church serving in student ministry. And so I have served in student ministry throughout the time of, of that decline. And I gotta tell you, I've had plenty of sleepless nights where I've seen a student that I shepherded that was in my youth group, and I've watched them go off the deep end. And they've got to say, man, what did I do wrong? What did we miss? You know, parents come and say, man, my kid, they, I, we took him to church, we did this, we did that. What on earth did I miss? How did we miss this? What happened? Now, family ministry experts have been dissecting this issue as well. And one of the approaches that they've taken has been to look at the students that actually, you know, they're, they're in college, it's that first Sunday away, and they say, you know what, I'm not going to sleep in, I'm going to get up, get out of bed, and go to church. Who sticks with their faith? And so I have examined uh, studies from a bunch of big names in family and student ministry, and there's one thing that shows up in every single one of these studies, just about all of them, there's one trait 
that shows up when they look at students who stick with their faith after high school. The kids who become adults that continue to follow Jesus grow up in a household with parents or, in some cases, a single parent, guardian, foster parent, whatever it might be, who prioritized and lived out their faith in the home. That's the trait. Faith was more than a social club where I can make my business connections. Faith was more than a box to tick and say, all right, we went to church, we got that out of the way, now on to the football game. It was lived out, it was taught, it was believed, it was practiced. Other factors certainly come into play. You've probably heard me talk before about how important it is for kids to be a part of the church at large, not just stuck in a corner with some pizza in the youth group or in in a kid's church. It's important for them to be plugged into the church at large. But that intentional activity that passes the baton of faith to the next generation, that shows up every single time. Now, honestly, as I, as I reflect on, you know, the fact that that was some kind of epiphany for me, it really shouldn't have been. I mean, as I studied Scripture, and, you know, there's a, there's a keystone verse that I think we all know. There's this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You know, I think we're all familiar with this passage. Uh, This is found towards the front of the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Uh, It's part of the Torah, one of the first five books of the Bible. And that name, Deuteronomy, actually means, it's a transliteration of Greek that means second telling of the law. And so a lot of times when people come to the book of Deuteronomy in their Bible study, it kind of becomes like a flyover book. Like, oh, that's the second telling of the law. I read the first one. We're good. I don't need to really do that. But Deuteronomy is more than just a copy-paste job of God's law. Deuteronomy actually introduced the people to a comprehensive plan of religious education that was intended to help them remember their covenant with God. Now, that plan is summarized in what Jesus himself called the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, if Jesus, the master himself, said that this was the greatest commandment, I think that we as Christians, that ought to be something that we value and that we should do. We are supposed to love God with everything, every fiber of our being, our body, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our intellect, our emotions. Everything, every piece of who we are should be fully committed to loving and to serving God. And if you follow the passage in Deuteronomy, it talks about sitting and standing, when we lie down, when we rise. And the implication of that is that every waking moment should be spent loving the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might. From the moment you wake up until your head hits the pillow, whether you're sitting down, whether you're moving around, driving, going from here, going from there, whatever it may be, we are supposed to talk about God and His Word. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, the intent here is for people to inundate their families with the words of God all day, every day. Why? Because earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 4, verse 9, it says what would happen if the people didn't. 
Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Now, if you know your Bible history, you know that this is indeed what happens. In a few short generations, the people forgot the things they saw, and the things departed from their heart. Immediately following Deuteronomy comes the book of Joshua. Joshua takes the leadership baton from Moses, and he begins the, the conquering of the Holy Land. But the job was never completed. The people fell down on the job. They stopped. They gave up. And then, to make matters even worse, uh, Joshua drops the baton. There's no successor. Joshua dies, and the people are kind of like, all right, now what? <laughs> and even more tragically, the people of Joshua's generation failed to follow what they were supposed to do in Deuteronomy 6. And it leads to what we see later in the book of Judges, which comes after Joshua. In Judges 2, 10 through 13, this is what happens. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth. All it took was a couple generations, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 years, for the people to go from recovered desert wanderers crossing the dried Jordan to what we just read. Does that sound kind of familiar, maybe? Maybe just a little bit? Dr. Tony Evans said this, The single greatest reason why we are losing our young people today is that the home is no longer the place where faith is transferred. Parents, the primary purpose of the home is the evangelization and discipleship of your children. You cannot outsource this vital component in the rearing of your children. And he's right. Mom, dad, guardian, you can't outsource this. I've been doing student ministry for almost 20 years, and as much as I absolutely love kids and teens, I can't do this for you. They spend, what, one or two hours a week with me? They spend all week with you. And I think an appropriate term for this concept of transferring faith in the home is family discipleship. That's what we're going to focus on over the next several minutes. It's clear that practicing family discipleship is vital and that this principle is based on Scripture. But I think that us parents today, and I include myself in this, I, I think a lot of us didn't have this modeled for us. Now, I will say, sitting around the room, if you're here today, I imagine someone modeled something to you. If you're here in the room and, and you're participating in this or joining us online, someone probably modeled something of family discipleship to you. But I will say the numbers look pretty grim, which leads me to believe that as parents, we're missing something. And maybe we just need to know what that is. So I recently read a book by Pastor Matt Chandler and Adam Griffin, and it's called Family Discipleship. You know, pretty straightforward. I'm going to be drawing from that book pretty heavily over the next couple of minutes, and so I would encourage you to give it a read and to check it out. They define this idea of family discipleship like this. Family discipleship is leading your home by doing whatever you can, whenever you can, to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus Christ. So just like it says in Deuteronomy 6, from sitting to waking, 
from when we lie down to when we rise. We must do what we can, when we can, to speak of God and to speak of what he's done for us. That's family discipleship. Now, how can we as parents, as grandparents, as family members, as members of the church family, you guys aren't off the hook if you don't have kids in the house. This is for you too. How can we practice family discipleship? Well, Chandler and Griffin suggest four areas in which we can do this family discipleship thing. You'll notice that these really aren't earth-shattering. It's not some sort of neon sign new thing. It's actually pretty mundane. It's pretty ordinary. There's really nothing flashy. There's nothing complex about it. Like it says in Deuteronomy, this is just something we do whenever we have the opportunity to do it throughout daily life. It's really kind of just this ongoing, plain-jane, regular kind of thing, but it is so important. So the first way that we can practice family discipleship is through modeling. Now, thankfully, that doesn't mean fashion modeling, because otherwise my kids would be scarred for life even more than they are now, and they would need more future counseling than they will already. Because if they saw me trying to do a catwalk, it would be, whoo, no, that'd be bad. <laughs> but modeling our faith is sort of like fashion modeling. It's one thing to see clothing on a hanger or a mannequin and imagine what it would look like on a person. It's another to see that clothing on a living, breathing human being, someone who looks like you and, and has the same body type, and you can look and say, that might look pretty good on me. That's why a fitting room has a mirror, right? You, you don't just want to see that shirt in the hanger. You want to put it on and see how it fits and if you like it. This is one thing to learn about Christianity and what it ought to look like theoretically when someone walks with Christ. And it's important for us to study the past, to study church history, to study some of the spiritual giants that came before us. But it is every bit as important for a kid and for others to see what it looks like to live for Christ as an average person on Cape Cod in 2021 in a post-COVID world. People need to see what that looks like. And they need to see that faith and see it modeled well. So modeling means that all of us, parents, family, church family, we should strive to be an example of Christian living for our kids. Guess what? You are always discipling the children around you. Whether you intend to or not, you are always modeling something to them. So we should do our best to model our faith. We should, as parents, be able to tell our children, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, to borrow Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Your children have a unique opportunity to see you live out your faith in just kind of the regular daily activities. You know, how does it look like to, to live your faith when you, when you walk to the bank and take out money? What does it look like to live your faith when, when you drive through the drive through they get to see you live out your faith every day. And they also see you live out your faith in some of the extraordinary stressful things that happen. They're going to learn more from watching you interact with people and follow God in the day-to-day -day than they are spending two hours a week with me here at the church. That's just the reality of it. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This part of family discipleship is intimidating for me. This may shock you to hear. Prepare yourselves. I'm not perfect. I know that blows your mind. I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know, my kids, they see me doing this kind of stuff. They see me, woo, Pastor James, he's preaching to us this morning, yay. You know, they see me shaking hands. They see me doing the work of the church. But they also see me when I'm tired and grumpy. 
when I get frustrated, when I bash my knuckles working on the car and say something I probably shouldn't say, when that guy cuts me off when I'm trying to merge, right? You know, <laughs> you do it too. When that employee at the grocery store blows me off and I'm like, dude, I'm standing right here. What are you doing? Right? When the checking account gets low, when life gets stressful, when bad things happen, you know what stinks? Is that sometimes they pick up my bad traits and they model those. Kids, sometimes when your parents get the most frustrated with the boneheaded things that we do, sometimes it's because you're doing something that we accidentally taught you and we're watching you do it, and we're like, I taught them that. And, and it, we just get even more angry. So sometimes when your parents are like super angry at you, that may be part of the reason why. Now, while that is intimidating, there is hope. My kids can also be discipled positively in the weak moments. With Christ's help, they will see me depend on Him and have good moments to recover from the bad moments. They're going to see me use the skills that I learned from being a part of the church, from being involved in a small group, from my own personal Bible study. They're going to see me, hopefully, apologize and say, man, I am so sorry I said that. Will you forgive me? They're going to see me when I just don't know what I'm doing, humble myself and go to someone and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. Because that's hard to do, isn't it, guys? That's hard to do. But with God's help, they're going to see me do those things. Modeling does not require perfection. And praise God that it doesn't, because otherwise, the only one who would be able to model faith for us is Christ Jesus himself. Now, it does require that you are being discipled yourself and that you are practicing spiritual disciplines in your own life. So you have to be plugged in, like I said, plugged into church, plugged into your Thrive group, plugged into Bible study. You need to be doing your own personal walk with God in order to do these things. Now, modeling is one of the reasons why I love my OBC church family. Our church is filled with business owners, educators, mechanics, artists, landscapers, engineers, office staff, law enforcement, medical professionals, you name it. And you guys live out your faith in your profession, where you were called to, to, to serve. You are doing these things. You're living out your faith in that. So my kids get to rub shoulders with people. You know, my daughter's a, a pretty good artist, and she gets to rub shoulders with people who like art and can apply being an artist into their day-to-day -day walk. What does that look like? They get to see that. And I think it's part of the reason why OBC has such a strong history of kids who go on to serve in ministry and to serve in a profession as a believer. I think it's because you guys show them how to do it. Now, teens, this applies to you guys too, okay? Did you know that the kids here look up to you guys? You should see you saw pictures of the guys who were leading games in that little video that we showed. And man, the kids are just like, whoa, they're my hero. I just met them, but they're awesome. <laughs> so kids, teens, these kids look up to you guys. And you know what? Your siblings do too. Older kids, teens, your siblings look up to you in a big way. You may not think you're cool or popular, and honestly, you may not be cool or popular, but to these kids, you are, believe it or not. But what do they hear you talking about with your friends between services when they're running around your ankles and you're like, whoa, little kids? What do they hear you saying? How do they see you interact with your parents? Do they, are they seeing positive modeling in them? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
So you have a unique opportunity to set an example for the little ones around you. Don't miss that opportunity, guys. Now, honestly, this whole principle of modeling can be summed up in the words of Charles Spurgeon. Train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. <laughs> that is modeling. <laughs> now, the second area is time. Your family must have, as Chandler and Griffin define it, intentional time built into the rhythm of the family's life for the purpose of thinking about, talking about, and living out the gospel. You got to have it. Call it what you will. Family devotions, family worship, Bible time, that thing my mom makes me do every day. Whatever you call it, you need a regular, deliberate time for your family to gather together for intentional discipleship. Now, I believe this works best when it happens at the same time every day so that it can become a part of your family's daily rhythm. Now, in the Trevelyan home, we do a devotional time after dinner and before bedtime. We usually run about 10 or 15 minutes. And during that time, uh, we read scripture together. Sometimes we, we take a chapter at a time of a book of the Bible and walk through it over a period of weeks. Uh, right now, we're actually working through a devotional book. And so it emphasizes scripture, it has a teaching that goes with it, and then it asks some questions that go along with that. We've been doing it for several years, and honestly, it's just kind of like, it's just part of the routine. We finish dinner, we're getting ready for bed, and it's like, oh, grab the books, it's time to, time to do our thing. And so it's just become a part of what we do. Now, how that looks is going to differ greatly depending on your family. What, what, what is it that inspires you? What do you do together as a family? Uh, maybe you schedule things in the morning instead. Maybe you're morning, morning people, and so you're like, let's do this at the breakfast table together. Maybe your schedule is crazy, and so you look at the next day and say, hey, guys, tomorrow uh, we've got a lot going on, so we're going to do this at lunchtime because that's when we're all going to be home. Maybe, you, maybe you're musical. I'm not. Um, but maybe you play an instrument. Or if you're like me, you hit play on a video that has lyrics on it, and so you're able to sing together. Maybe you schedule time where you get outdoors and do things together as a family outside. Maybe if you have little ones at home, if you've got toddlers, it might just be getting everybody together before they scatter off again and reading a toddler Bible. And believe me, that has a huge impact. You wouldn't believe the impact that just that simple five-minute reading of a toddler Bible will have for your kids. Think about what makes your family unique and embrace that. Use it to, to be a part of that family discipleship time. Now, good news, you don't have to be a professional Bible teacher or have a seminary degree to do these things. Honestly, part of the joy of family devotional time is walking through these hard passages and difficult topics together. Don't be afraid of hard questions, and don't be ashamed to utilize good tools and resources for your family discipleship. There are some great devotional books that can help guide your family's devotional time. There are Bible reading plans. I mean, most of us have the Bible app on your phone, and you even know what I'm talking about when I say that, and it has a bunch of really good Bible reading plans in it. And they can provide some direction for you as you seek to lead your family in this discipleship time. Now, ultimately, whatever you do should be based in Scripture, right? It shouldn't just be a self-help book or some good-feeling thing. But a good tool can help you keep on track with your plan. And take advantage of your church family. That's what we're here for. Us pastors, I mean, I, I know I speak for myself and probably Rob too. I love geeking out over hard Bible question stuff. So, you know, you, you do your family devotions and they're like, what on earth is this talking about? Send us a text message. Be like, dude, we don't know what this is talking about. Uh, and if I don't know, I'll go find an answer. We'll go figure it out. 
Your, your elders, your deacons, your Thrive Group leader, your women's study, men's study leaders, we're all there as a resource for you as your church family. We want to help you in this and to help you live it out. Now, another piece of advice for you perfectionists out there like me, do not expect a highly structured 60-minute Bible study where your children are folding their hands and sitting patiently and going, oh, mother, please regale us with your deep knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> It doesn't happen that way, okay? <laughs> there are times where we get together to do this and my kids are like, Ugh, you know, we're doing this again. But hear this. It is more important to have a family devotional time regularly than it is to have it perfectly. It is more important to have a family devotional time regularly than it is to have it perfectly. Just do it. Expect to have some days when things get crazy and they don't go according to plan and people are sick or you've got something going on. Expect it to happen. And you know what? Establishing a new routine is hard. I mean, people, people get on older people's case for being stuck in their ways. But let me tell you, kids and teens, having worked with them for like 20 years, they are just as much creatures of habit. And so trying to get them into a new routine is like moving a mountain. <laughs> so sometimes it's hard. And your whole family may need to ease into this concept before it starts to become a regular part of your family's rhythm. Family devotional time, or whatever it is that you choose to call it, is the core of your family discipleship. This is where your children begin to develop the spiritual disciplines that stick with them for life. Second to their own personal walk with God, this is the most important thing that will help set the tenor of their spiritual life going forward. Parents, this has to become a non-negotiable part of your family's life, starting today if you're not doing it. It's got to be non-negotiable. And additionally, plugging in with your church family should also be a non-negotiable part of your family's discipleship time. Being plugged into church, being plugged into a Thrive group, serving at the church, those things are all vital time investments in your family's discipleship. Think of time like a slow, steady drip that starts to carve into a rock. You know, it doesn't take a lot of pressure. It doesn't take a large volume of water. But over time, that slow, steady little drip, drip, just starts to carve out that rock. So the more time you invest in this process, the greater the impact. Now, as I consider the way that my family spends time, I'm reminded of a simple phrase that the campus pastor taught us when I was in college. Commitment limits my options. That's a really simple phrase. I think it's why it's stuck with me. But what is it that your family is committed to? Uh, my prayer is that you are committed to raising children who will stick with their faith. And if that's the case, that commitment, it's going to limit your options. I know a dad who uh, went to his kid's swim team. The kids wanted to participate in swimming. But he told their swim coach, look, Sunday morning is off limits. My kids, we go to church, and you know what? Uh, most weeks, we're, gonna, we're connected to youth group, so when it comes down to it, if it's on a Sunday, it's not going to happen, and if it's on a Wednesday night, it's got to be vital in order for us to miss things. That is our family's commitment. That's what we're going to do. Do you think that that had an impact on their ability to be on the swim team? Oh, yeah. Yeah, teams have rules. Those of you who do youth sports, you know how that works. Uh, so if there was a Sunday competition, they missed out. They missed out on being able to qualify for certain things. If they missed a practice on a Wednesday night, then they had to make it up. They had to go to the pool and, and do their own practice and, and show the coach, yeah, I did this. You know, my mom took me. We were able to figure it out. But let me tell you this. As hard as that is, when those kids go to college, 
and that first Sunday morning comes, and they have, a, they have a choice to make. Do I sleep in and hit the brunch at the cafeteria, or do I get up, find a ride, make my way to church? What do you think they're going to do? I know what my money's on. So now let me say this before we go on, too. I am not trying to say that sports or extracurriculars are bad in and of themselves. Don't hear me say that. Uh, I used to run track. You can't tell now. Uh, but, you know, that was a vital part of my upbringing. I, I very much enjoyed being a part of that and being a part of that team. And honestly, we need more Christian athletes, actors, musicians, artists, and all of those things. But that's my point, is that we need more Christian athletes, actors, musicians, artists, and the like. By prioritizing family discipleship time, you prevent your child from being an example of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? Don't give up your children's soul in exchange for those extracurriculars. Don't do it. Now, we've talked about modeling. We've talked about time. The third area of family discipleship, according to Chandler and Griffin, is moments. While it's important to have regular, ongoing discipleship times, it's also vital, and some of the best instances of family discipleship will happen on the fly, spontaneously, just while you're living life together with your families. Now, I had a different example of this I was going to talk about, but something happened this morning that I got to observe, and so I'm going to talk about that instead. Uh, every morning before first service, the elders and a couple of guys gather together in a side room, and we pray together for the services that are coming. It's one of the most important things that we do to prepare for Sundays, is, is bathe this morning in prayer. And uh, there's a young man who, who joined us in there this morning. He's a fifth grader, and, uh, and he was sitting there, and, um, and we began to pray, and he stuck around with us. And so he joined us for that prayer time. And when it was over, the elders looked at him and said, hey, thanks for joining us in prayer this morning. It was great to have you here. And that young man got to hear the elders of his church pray for the services this morning, and he was able to engage in that with them. How cool is that? You think that's going to have an impact on him? You better believe it will. He knows that, that our elders aren't just here, you know, standing up in front of people and, and leading things. They, they believe these things that we're teaching. They live this out. And so that simple moment is going to have way more impact. He probably tuned me out when he was sitting here first service. <laughs> but that moment is going to have a huge impact on his spiritual growth. So these moments happen all the time in the life of our families. Sometimes they're positive moments. Uh, we are out in creation, and we get the opportunity to acknowledge God's creativity and his artistry. Wow, we're at the beach. Take a look at that huge wave. Wow, how powerful and how awesome is God. Maybe it's a good behavior from our children. We see them embody the values of Scripture. And so we say, wow, you did a great job with that. I saw you help that person. That was awesome. You know, sometimes it comes in response to bad moments. Sometimes there's a blowout argument between siblings in your household, and you've got to kind of put them in separate corners, and it involves uh, diffusing the situation, and uh, you, know, you have to point that situation back to Christ. Sometimes that's what it takes. Maybe there's a lie that's exposed, and it provides a teachable moment. Maybe you witness something disturbing in public. 
I mean, you know how it goes. Stuff happens. People are people. You witness something, and in the car on the way home, there's a discussion about that. Why did that person say that? What was wrong with them? Well, we need Christ. All of us do. That person needs Christ just as much as we do. So even though these moments happen out of the blue and without warning, it is still important and possible to be prepared for them. It's easier to throw away your shot at creating a good discipleship moment when you're not prepared. Now, that doesn't mean that these have to be some kind of alliterative three-point sermon with references, but you need to be able to respond to moments in a way that points your children back to Christ. So you have to be prepared for it. Pray to recognize those moments when they come. I'm kind of thick-headed, so sometimes I don't realize that a moment could have happened until the next day when I wake up and go, ah, I missed it. So pray to realize when these moments come. And when it does come, stop what you're doing and focus on that moment, even if it's just a couple of seconds. For me, that means I've got to tuck my phone away and not look at it, leave it alone, look my kids in the eyes and be present in that moment. I've got to dial in and focus on it. You know, if you end up with a run of teaching moments in response to negative behavior, we've all been there, we've had those weeks, right? If you end up with a run of negative behavior that you point out, look for something positive to reinforce. Have a reference on hand in case you need to remind yourself of a scripture passage. There's some great topical references out there, so if your child is having an angry moment, you can pull it out and look up anger and go, you know what, let's, let's talk about this together. What does the Bible say about anger? The other thing that's very important, as I've said before, is keeping up with your personal Bible study and being plugged into your Thrive group. Those things and those studies will help you be equipped for these moments when they happen. Now, the fourth area of family discipleship is milestones. Milestones mark the big occasions in the lives of our families. Some of them aren't overtly spiritual things. Uh, birthdays, getting a driver's license, graduation, uh, maybe something like a sweet 16 or a quinceanera or something like that. Some of those milestones are big steps in our spiritual lives. Uh, placing our faith in Christ, uh, choosing to be baptized, and while many of these milestones are celebratory, some are somber, uh, the loss of a loved one, or, or maybe a critical diagnosis in your life. Now, milestones can be both made and marked. We can make a milestone out of many firsts in our kids' lives. Uh, their first paycheck. You know, wow, you got your first paycheck. Look at that. God honored your hard work. Look at what you've done. This is so awesome. Like, you turn that into a celebration. Maybe it's the first set of keys. Wow, you get to be left at home alone for the first time, and here is your first set of house keys. Let's pray for this time. Let's celebrate this. So in the words of Chandler and Griffin, you create significant milestones to commemorate, celebrate, or commend spiritual growth. Now, these milestones don't have to live perpetually on your calendar. Oh, it's the fifth anniversary of the first time that you were left at home. And, you know, that would just kind of get overwhelming, right? Like, it's just overkill. You don't have to do that. But celebrate that and honor it, you know? Now, other milestones are marked. These are milestones you didn't expect or schedule. And so in these instances, you recognize God's unpredictable work in your family. Now, one marked milestone that, that we celebrate deeply here at OBC is baptism, right? When baptism happens, we have a big party together as a church family. We go to the beach, and we have fun together, and people share their testimony, and we see them get baptized in the ocean, and it's so awesome. By the way, baptism coming, end of the month. Let me know if you want to be baptized. 
But that's a huge milestone that we celebrate together as a church. Now, in some families, there's another thing that may be a milestone that is marked for you. Uh, that would be the day that you were declared NED, or no evidence of disease. That's a big deal. And sometimes that marked milestone also comes with a prayer because scan day is coming up, right? Those of you who have fought cancer and continue to be concerned about that know what I'm talking about. Now, those of you who have adopted children, you know about gotcha day, right? That's when that child who was adopted and uh, entered into your household became a part of your family. Maybe it was just the first time they entered your house or the legal date of their adoption. But that's a huge milestone, and, and that's marked and celebrated almost like a birthday party. Now, marking milestones of things that aren't positive also has importance. Uh, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. You know, we mark those things with, with a memorial service or a funeral. And oftentimes, through the years, we mark that date because we want to remember that person and the impact that they had on our lives. Now, we already have some built-in celebrations of milestones in our culture, uh, birthday parties, graduation ceremonies, those kinds of things. And as a church, we come alongside families for a lot of milestones. I mean, I just talked about baptism. That's a huge one. In addition to baptism, we recognize child dedication. So a family has an infant enter into their home, or they adopt a child, or maybe it's a family that is uh, just kind of beginning to enter into Christianity, and they say, you know what, I want to do this right. Uh, maybe I've been doing it for 12 years, but I haven't been doing it right. So I want to dedicate my family to the Lord. And so we come alongside that with a child dedication. You know, even with graduation, you know, we've started doing a video recognition of our graduates, and uh, then we have their parents share their spiritual desire for their children. That is a milestone that we come alongside as a church, and we are able to, to assist in that. Now, it is vital to remember, celebrate, and make or mark milestones in the lives of our families. Doing that will give you the opportunity to honor God in the most critical phases of life. That means both on the hills and in the valleys when those come. There's something powerful about your family taking those milestones and taking it and making it a significant spiritual event. Now, as we've discussed these four ways to engage in family discipleship, I imagine that there are a lot of thoughts whirling around the room right now. This is not a complex concept, but I got to tell you, it is not easy either, is it? This takes time commitment. This is going to uproot and change some of your cherished routines. This means you have to say no to some things that get in the way of your family's spiritual development. Maybe you got to say no to some things that are good, but they're not the best. Now, this also isn't some kind of formula that guarantees spiritual success of kids. I know just looking around the room, there are many of you who have adult children, and despite your efforts at doing these things your kids still made some poor choices and turned away from the Lord. Free will is still in the mix. Kids still make those choices when they become adults, and, you know, we watch that happen. But even in that situation, if that happens, you're providing an opportunity for them to have a faith foundation for later in their life. We talk a lot about the statistics of kids that, uh, that don't continue on with their faith after high school, but one of the statistics that's encouraging is the percentage of kids that once they leave college and then a lot of times have their own kids, they come back. And why do they come back? Because you gave them something to come back to. You started it. 
Don't give up hope. If you're here and you've got an adult kid who, who isn't tracking with the Lord, don't give up hope. Now, family discipleship is hard. And like I said, it is not a guarantee. But I got to tell you, it's worth it. It's so worth it. If you forget everything else that we talked about this morning and you only take away one thing, let it be this thing. All other forms of success and prosperity are secondary to having a growing, vibrant walk with Jesus. Full stop. That's what matters. That's what's important. Decades from now, your child's GPA and academic accolades, they're going to be long forgotten. I can tell you that because I graduated high school with an unweighted 4.0 GPA. I got two bachelor's degrees, summa cum laude, and a master's degree distinction. Nobody cares. <laughs> they don't ask. It doesn't come up. <laughs> and don't feel sorry for me. That's, that's the reality of it. That's just life. You know what? You spend decades investing in sports, and a lot of times it just results in some, some good memories and, uh, you know, hopefully some physical habits that go on for the rest of life. Maybe a scholarship if you're lucky. But the percentage of people who even end up with that scholarship is tiny. Trophies, certificates, they get tossed, left in a box somewhere. They collect dust. They end up at the transfer station. And you know what? Your kids are eventually going to work under the supervision and leadership of people with a variety of academic pedigrees, and they're going to be unimpressive. Your kid's going to be like, I got more education than that person. Why are they in charge? It happens. But you know what matters? It matters that your child has daily opportunities to hear God's word and place their faith and trust in him. That matters. It matters that your child bucks that trend of generations before them and is involved in the church after high school. That's what matters. It matters that your child understands how important it is to have believing friends and eventually a believing spouse. That's what matters. It matters one day that your grandchildren and their grandchildren have every possible opportunity to continue in a legacy of faith. That's what matters. Parents, this is job one. This is the most important thing. Now, our church family is here to support you in every way that we can. But as a youth pastor, as someone who works with kids and teens, I can't do this for you. I can help you, and I want to help you. But I can't do it for you. Mom, dad, parent, guardian, foster parent, adopted parent, there's no substitute for you. I can't do that. This is a battle worth fighting. And as John wrote in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's so true. There is no greater joy in life than, than seeing the students I've worked with. Uh, there are students I've worked with who are church planters. They're missionaries. They're moms and dads who are committed to this. They're Christians working in IT. They're waiting for that operating system update, and they're striking up conversations with people about God. They're law enforcement officers who have a heart for people and care about them more than just throwing them in the back of the squad car. And it's amazing to see. And it's even better when it's your own kids following God and walking in their faith. It's amazing. So as we conclude this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to be setting up some things behind me here. But we're going to be privileged to, to hear a song from Autumn Waller. 
Uh, as you know, the, the Waller family is getting ready to move. It's that time of year when our, our Coast Guard families shuffle around, and we, we love our Coast Guard families. We're always so sad when, when it's time for them to head out. Um, I've got to say, I've been blessed to get to know the Waller family, and I know that this is something that they are committed to, uh, and I'm just so excited to see where their kids are in 20 years. It just warms my heart to think about that. But this song is titled, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood. The faith that's been passed down to us, it wasn't cheap. It was bought at a steep price. Be sure that you are doing everything you can so that your kids and our OBC kids have every opportunity to take a hold of that faith for their own. Father, I just, Lord, we need your help. We can't do this without you. Lord, help us to do everything that we can, whenever we can, however we can, to see to it that our kids and our church kids have every opportunity to come to know you, to be baptized, and to go on in their faith, that when they are presented with the option of whether they will continue or not, that they choose to follow you, to follow hard after you with everything they are, with every fiber of their being. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, direct us, and help us, to, to help us with this task. Lord, we need you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.